You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Mental Push Plan. Mental Push Plan has created this amazing product that even I, as a miscarriage and bereavement doula, use for support. Um, It's called Mental Grief Plan, and again, it's by Mental Push Plan. So the Mental Grief Plan is a digital workbook that's designed for you to identify and approach your grief in a gentle, self-compassionate way. It provides meditations and journal prompts to understand how your grief is manifesting, mindfulness tools to use when you feel overwhelmed by your grief, because let's be real, we all feel overwhelmed. That's why we're here. It also includes a plan to communicate your grief to others and finally, ways to navigate your path moving forward and what that looks like for you. I have personally used this. I recommend it. I think it goes great with everything that we talk about here, everything that I cover in private sessions and group sessions, and I cannot recommend it enough. If you follow the link in today's show notes, you can visit Mental Push Plan's website where you have all of the information. They even have support for whenever you are pregnant again, which I think is such an important part of the journey. Go to mentalpushplan.com. Again, that's mentalpushplan.com. You can visit them on Instagram at mentalpushplan. All right, enjoy the show. Well, Kaylin, thank you so much for being here today and for being willing to share your story. I know it's not an easy thing to do, um, not a fun thing to do, not a fun thing to experience. Thank you for having me, Arden. I do appreciate this opportunity, even though it is, like you said, it's a very challenging thing to come to terms with, much less be able to talk about in a public venue. So I appreciate having this space. And I know that there are a lot of other people who listen and appreciate all the work that you're you're doing doing in this space. Um, I'm actually, I'll start my story way, way back to when I was a little girl, which is a little weird, but um, I've been thinking about just when my my journey to motherhood started. Um, and I am the, the first child of my parents. And so I have a younger sister And I was basically like a second mom to her. And I've always been a caregiver, a nurturer, that type of thing. And so I actually would help take care of her and play with her and all of that, you know, like the the older sibling duties and, and different things. But I knew as a very young girl that I wanted to be a mom. And when I would play with my Barbies, I would have my Barbies have like two or three children a piece. And then they would have like the nuclear family, which I realized that's not everybody's dream. Um, but that at the time was, was mine and it ignited just my, my desire to have a career, but also be a mom. And so it's, it's been a long journey for that. And I know that a lot of us struggle with doing something by a particular date or by a particular age. And I fell into that category. I'm a perfectionist by nature. 
And I wanted to have, I wanted to be married and I wanted to have a baby by 30. And so I had this really strict timeline with myself and, you know, you can't really control either of those two things. Like you can't make somebody fall in love with you. You can't, you know, you could try as much as you can to have a baby, but you know, like you have other things are at play with that. And so, um, I actually, when I met my husband, um, we got married actually when I was 28. And so I achieved that goal. <laughs> so um, that's, that's where like the pregnancy journey officially starts is meeting with meeting my husband. And then um, we got married in 2017 and then started actively trying to have children at about the one and a half to two year mark of being married. And so um it was something that we both obviously wanted it. Um, when we met each other, he wasn't actually sold on having children. And so um, love is, love does funny things. And so he <laughs> wanted, he, we met and then he actually liked the idea of having children. Um, but we wanted to have that time obviously for ourselves as newlyweds and all of that and just getting acclimated to married life. And so um, probably after about a couple of, probably two or three months of trying, um, I found out that I was pregnant. And so I was like, oh man, this is going to be so easy. Like, because I've been surrounded by uh, women who seemingly have had an easy time of getting pregnant. So family members, friends. And so I was like, well, I'm pretty much on that right track, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty much ready to, um, you know, just be pregnant and go through this entire journey. And so um, I'm, again, a perfectionist, obsessive compulsive. And so I, I, I don't know how many pregnancy tests I bought or had my husband buy, um, but I actually had a doctor's appointment that was an hour away and I was feeling nauseous and just not feeling like myself having the typical like beginning of pregnancy symptoms. And so I stopped at a dollar general and I'll never forget it. I still have the receipt and everything. Um, just, you know, going in there, buying the first pregnancy test and then couldn't wait to get home and actually take the test. And so when I took it, um, you know, immediately told my husband, you know, I'm, I always like thought I would have this grand gesture of like, I'm going to do like this cute little um, display of whenever we um, find out that I'm pregnant and kind of like, I guess full house kind of ruined that moment for me because it was like when, um, when aunt Becky told uncle Jesse that she was, that there, she was pregnant. Like she did all this like food with like baby carrots, all this kind of stuff. I think about that scene all the time. That was the vision I had in my head too, because I remember thinking that was so cute. And I was even like contemplating doing it when I got pregnant. So it's so funny that you bring that up. That's always been in my mind. Yeah. Like, I mean, when you grow up in like the nineties, like it, you know, like you love these <laughs> shows and you have this vision and like, you know, I'm a big, and my, my husband and I are like just big nerds anyway. And love, we love Star Wars. We love all these like pop culture references. So I'm like, I've got to do something cute, but it was just like, no, just going to have word vomit and just tell you. Um, and so, you know, I told him and I remember, you know, I, I kind of had a weird feeling at the beginning, but this was my first ever pregnancy. And so I really didn't know what to expect, but I felt a little off about it. Like I didn't feel my intuition, there was just something that was amiss to me. And so um, I went to sleep 
and I was pretty excited. Like I had already like downloaded a bunch of eBooks and everything and like starting to um, just read about pregnancy. And I've actually had the luxury of, I own my own company. And so a lot of my clients are in the nonprofit sector and a lot of them focus on families and children. And so I have been inundated with family resources and things like that from the very, from the start of my company six years ago. And so um, I pretty much had a good grasp on like where to find resources, what to do, all of that kind of thing. And it was, it was you know, very fortunate that I was able to have access to those types of things because I realized that so many people don't have that. And so I felt very fortunate for that. Um, but then, you know, I went to sleep and, you know, kind of was like cradling my belly already and like talking to the baby, even though the baby was like a poppy seed at that point. Um, and then it, you know, woke up, took, you know, two or three more pregnancy tests. Um, but they actually had a very faint second line. And so I was Googling that because that was a cause of concern for me. Um, and so I kept Googling it and, you know, just kind of getting in that rabbit hole of just how, you know, what a normal pregnancy looks like, all that kind of stuff and feels like. And then I was actually scheduled to have my first appointment with my doctor um, that day, or it was... I get my day. It was such a blur that I kind of get my days, like the timeline mix up a little bit, but 24 hours later, essentially I started bleeding and I know that for some people that can be a normal sign of pregnancy, but this was, you know, way heavier than normal pregnancy type of bleeding. And so that was a cause of concern for me. And I started to cramp. And what I know now is that it was contractions but at the time I was like, well, I, I don't really know what's going on and everything. And I was at home by myself. My husband was at work um, and I just started, you know, just kind of, it was an out of body experience for me. Um, and I know that a lot of women have probably felt that way. Like you just feel out of your body and it took me a really long time to kind of come back to earth. It was like probably like a week. I just kind of felt like I was in a daze, but um I have two cats and they came in there and they were like, they knew that I was upset um, because it was just something obviously that happened at home and I was still really, really early. And so it was probably at like the, between the like fifth and sixth week. And so, um, you know, going through all of the tests and stuff, it was pretty traumatic because it's like, I don't know, I didn't know what to expect. And I feel like and I'll get into this a little bit later um, with the rest of my journey, but I just kind of feel like the, a lot of the medical facilities, especially in the area in which I'm located, um, they don't really treat miscarriages as its own entity. Like they just kind of like lump you in the rest of the category with, you go to the office and it could be just with like ladies who are having pap smears or then ladies, you know, having their, you know, third trimester ultrasounds and things like that. And, and so I was kind of like a shock to me whenever I had to go actually in the doctor's office and deal with all of that, because it's, I'm, I'm an empath by nature. And so I'm, I just kind of take in a surrounding and I'm very emotional by nature. And so it was just something that was pretty overwhelming for me. Um, and of course this was pre COVID. And so my husband was able to go with me and that type of thing. And so just having that support system there was really great to have. 
And my doctor at the time, she was very empathetic and, and different things because she'd been my doctor for like 10 plus years. And so she, um, she was very empathetic, explained things to me, all of that. Um, but they never really tell you kind of what the miscarriage process is like. And so you, until you go through it, a lot of times you don't really understand that, you know, it's not just a standard period. It's, you know, not just a little bit of bleeding or a little bit of cramping or, you know, you like, you basically, I mean, it's a loss and you're, it's, you go through, you know, whatever your version of a postpartum period would be and that type of thing. Um, and so I am, I'm a mental health advocate by nature as well. And so at that time I had really started to delve into therapy, which was good. Um, because it it helped me kind of go through the stages of grief and understand what was going on and you know just apply them to this situation but nothing can prepare you for the loss of a child Um, especially your own child like I mean it it was just something that just kind of brought up memories of other loved ones that I've lost um, and different things like that but when it's your own child like it's you're kind of in your own bubble. And so in a lot of ways, I felt like, you know, my husband and I were kind of in our own bubble and a lot of people may not have understood, you know, the seriousness of how we were taking it. Um, But I mean, my husband, he was just as heartbroken as I was because I mean, we're actively trying to have a child and then, you know, this type of thing happens, like you view it as an actual loss of a person. And so it, it was just hard to kind of get acclimated back into society at that point um, because it was just such, it was such a shock to my system, like physically and mentally that it was just very challenging. And I tend to compartmentalize. And so I just basically was like, I just kept working, just kept like, you know, taking on more clients and working on these projects and everything like that and never really dealing with the loss. Like, even though I was going through therapy, like I realized now that it wasn't really, I still compartmentalize and I still kind of push things to the side and kind of just built these walls up and then just like kept building them and, you know, never really addressing the, the loss. And so, um, and that was 2019. So I spent the next six months, we I was actively still tried, like whenever we were able to try again, a month or two later, like we still we decided like, yeah, we want to keep trying. And, you know, kept testing, um, just, you know, doing the test strips and, you know, testing my my urine all the time. Like I have this little cup and this is so weird, but it's an, I love New York cup. And it's like a little tiny like coffee cup and I would pee into it and then like test everything. It was just, it was a weird time. So um, just being able to um, just being able to do that kind of, it kind of gave me a sense of normalcy, but then like I would get so depressed whenever I would have my period because first of all, it was like a, like PTSD because it was like, you remember the miscarriage, you remember what happened. And so it, it definitely was, was triggering, you know, even to have like a normal thing that a woman goes through like a period. So, you know, we went through the holiday season um, and a lot of times, like I learned a lot during this time about boundaries. And so one of the things that I've carried over from this time in my life, because it's, 
when, when you have a miscarriage, like it changes you. Like I'm not the same person I was before this happened. So this happened June 4th, 2019. So like, you know, the first part of June, 2019, like I was a completely different person than this happened. And it's just this shift in who I am as a person. Um, and so I learned that, you know, it's okay to block people, not necessarily block people on social media, but like hide their content on your timeline. Like if you want to still be friends with them, because there were a lot of times like I would get triggered because it would be like another pregnancy announcement or another birth announcement or, you know, somebody using the names that I wanted to use for my children. And, like it was, you know, it could be a family member. It could be somebody I barely even knew, but it was like, man, like, you know, like I want to have those moments and things like that. And so it was really frustrating. And, you know, a lot of times miscarriages are so stigmatized, especially um, I'm from Appalachia. So like it, a lot of times we don't really like to talk about what's bothering us or really put things out in the open. We like to just kind of like grin and bear it. And so um, it's one of my, I feel like it's one of my duties in life to kind of break that cycle. So with mental health, with miscarriage and different things. And so I really started to find my voice during this time. And I was actually probably less than a month away of, of actually meeting with a fertility specialist and found out at the beginning of January, 2020, that I was pregnant again. So I automatically, I was excited, but reserved. And so I spent a lot of time just being anxious. And so this pregnancy thankfully resulted in my rainbow baby and his name is Luke. Um, we're Star Wars fans, like I said before. And so you know, his name's Luke, because that was first and foremost, a name that my husband and I agreed upon. And I feel like when you agree on something, you know, you should take that and run with it. And so um, I spent a lot of time during the pregnancy, though, with him not really enjoying it just because of what I had dealt with before and just constantly worried that I would go to the bathroom and see blood or there would be something wrong with him or different things like that. And so I, there was a, just a lot of stress that happened during this time. Um, and so, and the pregnancy was a high risk pregnancy. So I had gestational diabetes, hypertension, and he was a breech baby. Oh gosh. And so um, essentially. And COVID, he, right? Yes. And he was born during COVID. <laughs> so August, gosh. 2020. And a, a lot time. of it, you know, like you don't have that support system during, you know, a pandemic because it's like you know, my husband and I were like, so excited, you know, to reach these milestones during pregnancy, you know, like, we didn't tell anybody until the beginning of the second trimester, just because of, of the miscarriage and different things. Um, but, and I know that a lot of people can probably identify with this, because if you have had any kind of medical appointment during COVID, it, you know, a lot of times you weren't able to take somebody there with you as a support person and so like for me like it's comfortable for me to have my husband with me and then not to have him during this process was very just jarring to me but thankfully he was there like when he was born and everything and I actually had to have a c-section with him so that was you know it's always a strange thing um to go through a process like that um, but during my C-section, of course, everything is like a blur during that time, but my doctor who performed the C-section, who was my regular doctor at the time, he told me 
that I had a heart-shaped uterus and that could be the reason why my son was breech and then just research and everything after that um probably you know with uh, I'll get into the second miscarriage in a minute but just having um just having that knowledge of potentially having a heart-shaped uterus has probably given me some insight into why it was so hard for me to have a viable pregnancy just because of an abnormality. Um, and, you know, we're, I'm still trying to figure all of that part out, but um, I'll get into the, the next part of the story. So, you know, the, like the pandemic happened, all of that. And um, so I found out, I think it was, April 18th around that time that I was pregnant again because I started to have those same symptoms and you know having a being pregnant with my son and then having the miss you know the the pregnancy before that that ended in miscarriage um pretty much knew that when I felt off that it was um there was something that was amiss um and so I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. And from this standpoint, it was a bit of a shock because it was unplanned for one and I was on birth control. So I had a birth control failure. And so it was just wow. a weird, it was weird. Cause it's like, you know, we weren't actively trying um, because my husband and I were actually good with having one child. And so it was like a shock again to my system because I was like well holy crap like I'm gonna have to have two now and like juggle all of that and like we weren't really planning for that and so I spent a lot of this of the time of of this pregnancy just kind of like going through that motion of like what am I gonna do like just feel like anxious and then um, I started to like actually think like, oh, I can do this. Like, I'll just convert my office into a second, you know, baby's room and we'll be totally fine. Like we can start budgeting now. And then I started to bleed again. And I was like, it was almost like verbatim what happened the first time. And so this one was probably between like six and seven weeks. So, um, and I have a lot of guilt as I'm sure that listeners understand all about guilt. Like you go through all these motions, like, could I have done something to make this happen? Or, you know, my body is just messed up or like we go through all of these negative emotions and I went through those really, really hard. And especially like not this, not being a planned pregnancy. It's like, I didn't anticipate even having to go through like a pregnancy again much less a miscarriage and so um like I had you know obviously it was very devastating to me and luckily my husband was here because he he wasn't at work when this one happened and so um he was able to be there and a lot of times you know he would put my needs before his own in these situations um, just to make sure that I was okay this one was a little different because um, I didn't start processing the emotions of it until a little bit later. Um, and that's just because they thought that it could be ectopic. Thankfully it wasn't. Um, and then with the first miscarriage, I didn't have to have a DNC or anything um, because it, my, my body just naturally um, handled the, the miscarriage and, and did all of the things that, um, it was intended to do, I guess, like I didn't have to have help or anything. Um, but this time around it, it was a little scary because, you know, you hear the word ectopic and you're like, you know, like you automatically start worrying about your health 
And so this was during, again, during the pandemic. Um, and I had actually had like my first COVID vaccination shot. So I'm sitting there thinking like, well, did that happen? Did it like cause it? Um, like, did I drink too much coffee that day? Like, did I, you know, continue to take my birth control pill? Did that, you know, hinder in this viable pregnancy? Um, but again, I honestly think, and the, there's medical evidence that supports that, um, I just have an abnormality and it's just challenging for me to, you know, have a viable pregnancy. Um, and so during this time I was extra thankful for my rainbow baby. And I think it puts it into perspective that, um, when you do have your rainbow baby, just how special of a moment that is. And so when he was born, um, like I just had this, I'm sure that, you know, every, every mom has ever given birth in the history of the world there, you know, you have this feeling of warmth and, and just this feeling of being complete. Um, but I feel like that was exemplified just because he, it was a process to get there. And, you know, after a loss, you know, whatever a loss looks like for anybody, um, when you have that, that rainbow moment, it's really special, but I call him now, he's like the rainbow between worms. And so he's, you know, I just kind of look at it like it's just, he's, extra special and so when you have those moments where he you know maybe a little fussy or maybe get get overwhelmed or different things like that like I just kind of refer back to my my journey and just know how thankful I am to have had that that whole journey with him and continue to still have and so one of the reasons why I want to share my journey is just to provide hope that there is that that rainbow baby moment and even if there isn't um everybody's journey. I mean, I, I really believe that things happen how they're supposed to happen. And, you know, you'll have the clarity, you'll have healing and whatever that looks like for you. And so that's, that's one of the reasons why I want to share my story is just to just provide that glimpse of hope, because I know that there are so many women who go through miscarriages and they may not have a support system, um, I'm, I'm really thankful for my husband. Obviously, he's grieving as well, um, but you know he was able to remain that that strong pillar for me when I needed it the most. Um, but the second time was challenging too because of the just the lack of answers from the medical community, and I had to. And of course, you have to you know, after you miscarry, you of course have to have all this blood work done at different intervals just to see if your HCG levels are staying the same, increasing, decreasing and all of that. So I probably had between eight to 10 rounds of blood work within like a month span. So it was a pretty decent chunk of, of time spent at the doctor's office. And again, like going through all those triggers and then after, you know, when I had to have the, the ultrasound that was triggering, like anytime that I hear like those sounds of the machine, it, it's just, it doesn't even have to be like, I could go with somebody else and hear those sounds. It wouldn't even have to be an ultrasound for me for anything. And I still would be triggered by that. It's just like certain sounds, like when you go to the doctor's office are very triggering certain smells. And so I was kind of reliving that this time. And I realized that a lot of it, I just didn't, like, I thought that I'd healed from, but it's like PTSD. Like you just realize that there are a lot of just unhealed parts of yourself. Um, and so I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lack of empathy a lot of times when you go through something like this. And so um, 
it's just it's a frustrating part of of going to a doctor's office after you have a loss like this because they admitted to me that they don't really prioritize um like what type of procedure anybody's having so i mean i'm going in for a miscarriage somebody could be going in to have some type of biopsy somebody could have just their annual checkup they don't really like tier anything for you know just the priority or anything like that and so it was a lot of of the staff not really being compassionate like my doctor was wonderful but you know it was just like I had to kind of do their jobs for them and make sure that like I had my telehealth appointments and it was just a lot to go through when you have this emotional toll on you anyway of losing a child and then it's like you know the nurses who take your vitals can't wait to get out of the room fast enough like they they couldn't get out of there fast enough because it's it makes them uncomfortable or they just weren't showing compassion and so um i do a lot of work in the community like i said before and so just having not really having those miscarriage support systems and just resources in the community i just saw such a great need for that and so that's another reason why I want to speak out because I feel like there are, I mean, it's a traumatic thing to go through and it's the loss of a child. And they didn't tell me like, Hey, you can, you know, like when you miscarry, like here's this strainer so you can collect the tissue and the baby. So things can be tested and all of that. Or especially, you know, if, if you have one, if you have two or more pregnancy losses, like here are the steps to go through that. When I got the call that my HCG levels were zero, they basically were like, yeah, you guys can just try again whenever. And I was like, that's your instructions. It was just very, it's, it's very cold and it comes off as very like just a kind of this elevator speech of this is what you tell somebody. Um, and then during my pregnancy with my son, um, unfortunately I had four kidney stones during that time. Like um, I went to the, the ER because of course I was very diligent during that time. So if anything felt like halfway off, I'm like, well, I have to go to the doctor or I have to call them or whatever. Um, and so we actually dealt with a doctor who was in the same office as my regular doctor. And he was completely not compassionate about just the situation in general. But I had mentioned just don't remember how it came up, but I had mentioned that I had had a miscarriage. This was my, my second pregnancy and the first pregnancy ended in miscarriage. And he just went off on the spiel of like how I need to value like the child I have that was like growing inside me. And like he, it was just the most gross thing to have to deal with. And like it, it still to this day, like makes me mad. Like I just can't, and he was like trying to bribe me with like food and he was like well i'll get you anything that you want like for having to because basically i had to be there for like six or seven hours and it was just a miscommunication type of deal like they didn't know like i was supposed to be there or whatever um but he was very it was just very it's gross like there's no other word like he was just he basically he was like yeah like my wife for what you have yeah, be thankful like for what you have and not really like grieve the loss of your other child. Like the whole time, like I just, I mean, I've, I've told my son is 10 months now. And so, I mean, I've told him, like, I've told him both times that he has these angel siblings. Like, and I'm going to be very, 
upfront with him about it and just, you know, have that conversation because I feel like that's an important conversation to have. Um, and so just dealing with the people's lack of empathy. And of course, like, you know, like people come up to you when you first meet somebody, you know, it could be a family gathering or just something out in the public or an event or something like that. And people will be like, oh, well, this was before we had our son, but they would be like, oh, are you guys going to have kids? Blah, blah, blah. And it would be like after we had a loss and I would be like, yeah, well, I had a miscarriage like a month ago or whatever. And then you just see people like crawling in their skin. Like, and I'm like, well, it's just, it's made me more empathetic to, you know, ask these questions. And you can even assume, you know, like if somebody has a child, like, that person could have adopted that child and it may not be a biological child or it, you just don't know their situation. And so it's just made me be really way more empathetic and way, just way better at how I frame questions or how I meet people and, you know, ask them about their life and things like that. And so um, I think that that's been a silver lining is just being able to have more compassion for people and put myself in their shoes a little bit more because it's like I wish that would have happened in my situation with certain things and so it's something that um, I'm able to do a little bit better and so um, that miscarriage is actually still very still very new I mean it's been like two months and so it it's something that I'm still trying to work through and working through with your group sessions has been very, very helpful. And I just encourage people to do that when you open the doors to those again, just because they're very helpful because it's, you're able to just know that you're not alone because like I said, I didn't really feel supported in terms of the medical community. So I feel like if I would have had a support group after the first one, it would have been a whole lot better during my pregnancy, you know, issues aside, I feel like it would have been easier for me to go through that process and enjoy that time. And it's not that I wasn't grateful, you know, for the opportunity to carry my son, because I most certainly was, it was just, I've dealt with such severe anxiety the whole time, because it's like, you know, you don't really know what to expect in a healthy pregnancy after your first one ends in miscarriage. And so it was just a very challenging time. Um, but where we're at right now in terms of everything, um, as I, I really think that, you know, we're just going to have our one rainbow baby and then, um, you know, continue to enjoy the heck out of him and just be able to, to tell my story in whatever capacity. Yeah. Well, and I, I, you mentioned earlier, you know, that, um, you're with your rainbow that you were comfortable having just him. And that was kind of the plan and that you're on birth control. Did your third pregnancy kind of spark any interest in having a second child or did that kind of confirm that you were like, no one is okay for right now. Let's just focus on this. I think the latter, um, just because whenever I had him, I was, I remember like laying in the hospital, um, and both my, my son and my husband were asleep. And so I was trying to get comfortable, you know, after having a C-section, that's not the easiest thing to do. Um, and I just remember looking at them and saying, or thinking to myself, like, I feel like my family's complete. And so I still kind of feel that way. Um, but I do know that, you know, if this, third pregnancy wouldn't wouldn't have ended in loss like I would have been totally okay with that too 
Um, Cause my husband was actually an unplanned baby. So um, I know that, you know, they're, they're awesome. But <laughs> it, it just was, it was something that it kind of just solidified it, but it doesn't take away the hurt and the grief and, you know, because it's like, you still think about what could have been. Um, and another thing that I'll mention um, with my journey is that I actually went through a very trying time in my, my early to mid twenties. I was in a relationship that just was not great. It was a very abusive relationship. And I just remember kind of being at my wits end with it and just being such an, in such a depressed mood and like wanting to get out of that relationship and not really knowing how. And um, I just remember being in a, a very dark place and just like wishing for the things that I wanted to have again with my, you know, plan by the time that I was 30. And I just remember like, and I know that, you know, people have various, um, religious beliefs and things like that for but for me personally I believe in God and I just remember having this feeling kind of come over me of just like peace and then I heard like two little kids voices and one was a boy and one was a girl and like I just remember like they were calling me mommy and I just kind of like go back to that and you know after having these two losses like I kind of feel like they were speaking to me, but like it, it was just a weird kind of surreal moment to, to realize that. Um, and again, like, I don't really have these type of experiences of like God always talking to me and like all of that kind of stuff. But in that situation, I feel like it was just kind of fate. And I feel like that they, at first I was like, well, you know, it's my son, Luke and like the, uh, the first baby, um, but now I, I really feel like it was the the two babies. And so um, it's comforting to know that, that like, you know, I feel like I'll get to hold them again and that, you know, they watch over us as guardian angels. And again, people have different beliefs, but I find that comforting. So um, I would encourage anybody to just go back to your, your belief system and things like that to try to find comfort in those moments, because it's, it can be very daunting to go through the grieving process but in that kind of situation especially the second time like I feel like it kind of gave me peace that they you know they were able to be somewhere where they can you know still be comforted and then I'll get to see them again someday yeah I I love that and um my husband and I see very differently on that and I've talked on a couple of different podcast episodes about it um you know we both believe in God and all of that stuff, but it's like the afterlife, um, like what we picture that to be is very different. And so I always find comfort in thinking that the babies we lost are in heaven or a heaven-like area together with our loved ones that we've lost. That's always brought me a lot of comfort too. Yeah. And definitely because I have a great grandmother up there and then my husband has his grandmother and other, I mean, we have other countless loved ones, but, um, I kind of feel like it, it just feel at peace because I'm like, well, they took care of us when we were little. So like, I'm sure that, you know, like the babies are in good hands. So. Oh, I um, love that. Just, I never thought about it like that. I yeah. Love that. So, it, and I mean, honestly, like after I'm, I'm a writer as well. And so I've published articles about my two experiences. Um, 
And then even during my pregnancy journey and things like that, I'm not like, I'm very strategic. I'm a strategic open book because again, I'm a PR person by, by trade. And so I'm very strategic at how I communicate. Um, but I mean, I pretty much just wrote about everything without any kind of like frame on it or anything like that. And so I find comfort in that too, because it's like when you start to open up about your journey, you realize that so many other people have experienced this type of loss and they just don't talk about it or, you know, they just don't think about that they can talk about it. And so I feel like it opens a lot of doors and conversations to destigmatize it and to actually call for change, especially, you know, as you're going into all these doctor's appointments, like hopefully making a little bit more of an empathetic, compassionate experience. And I also plan to do, because I, again, writing is very therapeutic for me. And so I found a prompted journal that was pertaining to miscarriage after the first one. It was just like a free PDF I found. And so I've been actually doing one for the second miscarriage as well. And so I plan to kind of do my own book and I'm working on that right now. So, I mean, it kind of helps to be able to kind of keep your, your children's legacies alive, but then also help other people too. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm doing here. That's exactly the way I view it is it keeps their legacy alive. And whenever you have that journal ready, let me know so I can update the show description and and help share it with people because that's so needed and so appreciated whenever um, people can create it. 